lesson. Uh, I thought it was going to be easy because there's these short little verses. And as I began to look at it, I realized that there was so much underlying teaching to these short little verses that it was going to be difficult to, to uh, get through all of those verses today. But we will. So uh, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 22. And uh, take a look at this. We'll just read through it first here. We're starting in verse 16. Uh, if you have a Bible that has paragraph headings, it, this mine says various exhortations. <laughs> that doesn't do it very much justice, but we'll, we'll find out. But verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, or prophetic utterances, rather. But examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So, uh, just wanted to, to kind of set us, these, these are so short and there's really no uh, uh, connections to the context here. And so I wanted to go back and make some connections. And if you remember, last week I talked about that little word in verse 12, but. And usually that's a contrast. But in this usage here, it's not a contrast. This is a continuative participle, which means that it's adding an additional element to the already uh, uh, the thought that's already there, it links it to this thought. Uh, it continues the train of thought. And so, what is the train of thought that this is connecting up to? Well, if, if you remember, uh, we had talked about some things in 1 Thessalonians, uh, the certainty of the Thessalonians' election, which was evidenced by their ministry and reputation. Uh, all through First uh, Thessalonians, we've talked about the importance of their, of their sanctification, how they should walk in holiness and purity. And uh, we talked about the comfort of Christ's coming, the rapture, the certainty of the day of the Lord, the judgment to follow, and the starkness of light and dark in relation to how they live their life until that second coming. And... Uh, Jordan did a good job of, of laying out for us who we are, what we are, and what we know, and then how to focus on these things, understanding the reality of what God has done, and, uh, and that he's destined us not for wrath, but for salvation, and the things that we should dwell on. And so last week we talked about the harmony in the church. Uh, that little word, but, also kind of indicates to us, here's how we're going to do that, 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 that Jordan took us through. Uh, here's, here's how we're going to do it. We, we know what we're supposed to do, who we are, and what we are, but how do we do that? So this, that whole section, uh, verses 12 through 15, talks about uh, the continuing in sanctifications. The Thessalonians were already doing well, uh, that section was just to be an encouragement and an appeal for them to do better, 
uh, and it pointed out to us for the local church to function as God intended, uh, its pastors must be responsible to labor among the people, to exercise authority over them, and to provide instruction to them. And at the same time, the people have the obligation to appreciate or esteem highly their pastors or leaders and submit to them. And when both are doing their responsibilities, the church becomes the unified, joyful, peaceful, and healthy flock that God intended it to be. And so that passage continued. A healthy flock is characterized by growth in faith and love and purity and progress towards the likeness of Christ. Uh, and it also pointed out to us that the healthy sheep, the healthy flock, uh, had to, or, or needed to lovingly and patiently but truthfully deal with the difficult sheep uh, to remove the, the sin that, that impedes us and to ensure real growth. <clears throat> and the key is not finding some clever strategy to bypass the troubles. Uh, but as uh, shepherds and sheep alike uh, have to admonish the wayward, encourage the worried, uphold the weak, bear with the wearisome, and render goodness to the wicked. So if we're doing that, we're going to have that unity in the church that really uh, uh, exemplifies God uh, to the world, mainly to unbelievers. So that's where we've been, and now we get to these uh, eight short, penetrating statements that talk to us about the Christian life. And the first one is verse 16. Rejoice always. So what do we think about rejoicing always? Well, you just always do it, right? What's that? Pretty absolute. Pretty absolute. And so we'll break that down. Uh, but let's look a little bit underneath that first. How can we do that? What motivates us to that? Uh, Let's look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Why don't you turn there in your Bible? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And it starts out like this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, He's saying, you, you've always been obeying. You, you do it when I'm here because I'm helping you, I'm teaching you, I'm telling you this. But you do it after I'm, I leave. You, you, you continue to do it. But here's, here's what he's telling them. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, please notice, it doesn't say work for your salvation. Salvation has already occurred. Now he's telling us how we need to work out that salvation? How do we live our life in view of that salvation? And then in verse 13, he says, 
For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're talking about some, we're talking about some inward characteristics, some inward motivation that plays out in our life, how we live our life. So this word uh, in verse 12, the word work there, we're to work out our salvation, is uh, a Greek word that really really has the idea of to work fully, or that is to accomplish something. Uh, and by implication, it's, it's to finish something. It's, it's to fashion it. When we, uh, if you've ever watched those movies of a potter that has a wheel that goes around and he, he works that lump of clay into, say, a vase, uh, you know, it looks pretty rough. It's just a lump at first. It's not even a vase. But pretty soon you can see the shape of the vase. But then as it goes along, he finishes that out. He polishes it. He makes it look nice and then after he's done with that then even after that after it comes off the wheel what do they do they they put the glazing on it and they fire it in a in an oven that's the finishing and that's the idea here this this finishing or or uh, fashioning something it's to work it out to work fully so that's how we are to work with our salvation, with fear and trembling. So it's a command, and and there's some consequences if we don't (laughs) that we need to realize. But here's how we do it. For it is God who is at work. Now, the second word work here, for it's God who is at work, it's a different different Greek word. And that word is, is to be active, to be efficient, to be mighty in, to work effectually in so God's work is a different idea here it's it's that God is doing that work that we can't resist it's it's not us it's God who's doing the work God is at work in us both to will and to work so that will has the sense of uh, not, acquiesce, not acquiescence, not passive. It's not just something that happens to us. That word will there is for us to determine. We're going to decide. We're going to be inclined to do something. We're going to desire to do it. We're going to intend to do what God wants to do through us. That's the will. He gives us that will. It's God working in us to give us that will, to give us that intent, and and to work. Now this work is back to the work that's in verse 12 in the Greek. Again, it's uh, to work effectually in. It's, it's active. It's not passive. We don't sit there and just allow God to do something, whatever it is he's going to do. 
This is us stepping out by faith and doing, intending to do, desiring to do the work that he's put us in, that he gives us the power for. Uh, that's what is behind <coughs> rejoice always. Because rejoice always, as I put in your notes there at the top, should be a regular predictable pattern of one's Christian life. Philippians 3.1 Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. So uh, the idea there is we are to rejoice in the Lord, and he's told us this. It's, it's no trouble to write you this again. He's already told us, and he's going to tell us again and again and again. Uh, so it, it needs to be a regular, predictable pattern in our life. Now, that includes both the mountaintops and the valleys. It includes the good and the, and the bad. Uh, Job said in, verses, uh, in chapter 6, verse 10, but it is still my consolation, and I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. So Job was pretty much in the valley. There's <laughs> not much more that could happen that didn't happen to Job. But it was his consolation to know who the Lord was and that the Lord was working and that he had not denied the words of the Holy One. So this rejoicing always is from the bad to the good. Always. Always. But where does it come from? Because Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 6.10, he talked about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Being sorrowful but always rejoicing. So biblical joy doesn't come from the circumstances around us. It comes from God. Galatians 5.22, who can quote that for me? I see somebody's lips moving here. What? what? I see your lips moving. <laughs> Say it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. It's a fruit of the Spirit, yeah, and, and we have the Spirit, okay. So it, it comes from God. It's not something that we just figure out one day, oh, I need to be, I need to be joyful. Ah, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is what's so amazing. 
Why do we not always have this expression of joy? And how did you answer yourself? where we choose to focus. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's where our focus is. Supernatural joy is from the Holy Spirit. Yes. Very good. Yes, please, when I, when I give out these verses, please take the context of them. Joan? So Paul tells us to excel still more. Just keep on. I think, uh, I think a short answer to that is that uh, just like the church, we are to continue to be growing. If we examine ourselves, as, as uh, Pastor Tom has been exhorting us in, in 1 John, uh, as we look at ourselves, are, are we growing in the faith? If we are, we're working it out. <laughs> it's not it's not perfect, yeah. Right. Right. So that's that's um, I think one of the the best things that we can do is to look at ourselves and see, are we, are we rejoicing? And are we growing in that? 
Are we growing in our knowledge and our experience and our working that out in our lives? So we go back and look, well, how was I? When I first became, I was just talking to Patty the other day, but my understanding of a certain thing when I first became a Christian uh, wasn't wrong. But the way I express it now has grown where it, it's, it's able to talk to other people, not just me. Yeah. So... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, another question. It is a process. It's God that's at work in us. Right, derail us. Pablo. Can we say that the, the theory towards souls of the regeneration? So uh, while the non believer is worried about everything, about the weather, the economy, the health, the traffic, uh, we as believers, we have joy independently of what we are facing. That is a segue to verse 17. So thank you for that question. That was a good question. And I'll just jump right into verse 17, which says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Um, the un unregenerate is not able to do that. I'm looking at my notes to find out where I wrote this down. Hold on. Because of Romans chapter 1, I've lost it in my notes now, but Romans chapter 1, what, what does the unregenerate heart do? It, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and so it takes that regeneration that salvation and the result of salvation that Holy Spirit regenerates our heart to be 
to even be able to understand about rejoicing or praying without ceasing or giving thanks for everything. So yeah, that's a good, good statement. I think it's true. Uh, because where does it come from? It comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not in our life as a result of salvation, then it's impossible to do these things. Okay, so the conviction of the Spirit in our light. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're beginning to capture the idea here. And so I'm going to walk through the rest of these maybe just a little bit faster. <laughs> I knew this would happen. This is so rich. It may go both hours, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is so rich that it's, it's hard to uh, not discuss all of these uh, these good questions and good ideas about how this works in our life, how it works out, how God effectually works in us. 517, pray without ceasing. That should also be a regular staple in every Christian's life. Uh, Ephesians 618 says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times, in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. How many alls and every in, <laughs> is in there? So you get the idea. This, is, this has to be a regular, ongoing uh, part of our life. Because without ceasing means constant. Defines prayer not as some perpetual activity of kneeling and interceding, but a way of life marked by a continual attitude of prayer. So we can go every Sunday to the altar and kneel and pray and feel pretty good about it because we've done it every Sunday. We've been constant. But no, it's the attitude that we come to pray. Pray without ceasing. And you can see that reflected not only in Ephesians 6.18, but also in Romans 12.12. 12. And we have an example. The Son of God, Jesus, was in constant communion with his Father. And consider these verses that I've, I've marked down here. Uh, I'm not going to go to each one of those verses, but there's a number of them to illustrate the fact that, that there was this constant communion with God on Jesus' part. 
He was consistent in his prayer life, and you just follow all the different prayers uh, through these scripture. Uh, the intensity of his prayers, he prayed so hard in the Garden of Gethsemane that his sweat was blood. Uh, not saying that we have to do that, but that's the example of the importance of this. Jesus' prayer in the garden was a prolonged experience. He prayed three times. He kept on. Uh, Jesus spoke of persistence in prayer. Uh, these parables here uh, that I've written down. He persisted. He taught persistence in prayer. Uh, and what does that do when we pray? It should bring us to a joyful dependency on God because we recognize our insufficiency and therefore our constant need for prayer. So let me just uh, clue you in here. On the third and fourth pages that are stapled to the back here, uh, there was so much here that I, I couldn't just cover it all. So I, I kind of adapted from MacArthur's uh, commentary uh, some notes on each one of these. A proper perspective on biblical joy. There's 10 reasons for believers to rejoice. I should say at least 10. <laughs> he came up with 10, so I, I kind of summarized them here for you. And then also the strong scriptural emphasis on prayer suggests a substantial list of motivations for Christians to pray without ceasing. First of all, the desire to glorify God. And so take a look at those when you get home. I just put them on the back for just additional little encouragement during the week this week. You might want to look at those. Uh, we, won't, we won't cover them, but just to know that they're there. Uh, and let's move on to 518. In everything, give thanks. That should characterize the Christian's life as it did Paul's. Uh, this is where uh, the Romans 1.21 came in. For even though they knew God, uh, which was through their conscience and, and general revelation, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So you're right, Pablo. You, you, can't, uh, you can't do any of this uh, as an unbeliever. So being unthankful is, is really the very essence of the unregenerate heart. Um, yes, Patty. If we're unforgiving, we're not going to be able to be thankful, I think. And so as we go over the hurts that we've had in the past, we're, we're not forgiving. We're dwelling on those, those things instead of, as we're encouraged to do here in our lesson today. That's a very good point. First um, Thessalonians 4.3, that we just... Uh, 
studied not too long ago. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What is the will of God? I, I gave you a handout when we talked through that, I believe. It listed about 10 things in scripture that says this is the will of God. And, and this in everything giving thanks is one of those. So, uh, this is where uh, this is where our Philippians two thirteen comes in, because uh, our verse is talking about this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So. I believe that that just not only talks about in everything give thanks, but I believe that that is also all three of these injunctions, rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, come under that banner of God's will, Philippians 2.13, both to will and to work. So our will is, should be his will, and this is what his will is very specifically part of it. And so uh, we need to be sure that, that uh, we recognize uh, uh, the mandatory nature of these, of these uh, directions. It, it's, it's, not, it's not good to do. I mean, it is good to do, but it goes beyond that. It's mandatory that we do them. Gordon? No. <laughs> if you have the notes from, from that, that date, uh, uh, you'll see that there's a number of them. Yeah. Okay, let's go on uh, to the next section here, actually. Uh, but, but before we go on, uh, I wrote down at the bottom of your notes here, verses 16 through 18. God this not only mandates these expressions of righteousness, but he makes it possible for believers to articulate them, and he's pleased when we do so. That's a big word, articulate. What does that mean? Express. express. That's a good one. Yeah, to express these things. And, and in expressing them, we are doing them in a way that others see also. And that's one of the ideas here, is that we are uh, seeing, uh, we are seeing, and we're a witness for the Lord in that in that way. So let's go on to verse 19. A little bit, a little bit of a change here in the way these are listed, uh, but still commands: do not quench the spirit. Uh, remember back in Acts, how did the spirit come? Kind of flaming fires on people's head. Uh, so don't quench that. Don't put that out. Don't extinguish that. Don't extinguish the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Isaiah 63.10 uh, kind of speaks to that. But the believer is to rather be filled or controlled by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18-20 through 20. And to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 and to be led by the Spirit, Galatians 5.18.
Now, um, some people say this is don't don't quench the prophetic. No, not no, excuse me. Don't don't quench speaking in tongues. And and that that is not a good interpretation here. It's not a good interpretation in the context of it. It's not even a good interpretation in in what the Bible teaches as a whole. Uh, but I thought maybe it would just be appropriate for us to, to look at, uh, in a proper perspective, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And so here we see that the role of the Holy Spirit is not this gibberish stuff, but it's actually the role is to regenerate sinners. A bunch of verses here. And his role is to free us from the slavery to habitual sin and to place us in the body of Christ, Romans 8. And he takes up permanent residence within each new believer. We talked about that just a little bit before. Here are the verses that talk about that. He pours the love of God into our hearts. He gifts us for spiritual service. He seals us for eternity. We have that promise of that hope that is sure and steadfast. And he sanctifies us. And Milt's going to lead us in a good discussion coming up here about sanctification. And, uh, but believers cannot utilize these resources. We can't be the recipients of all that the Holy Spirit does uh, unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, and walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. So we, we, we need to realize that, that that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's not speaking in some language that, that nobody knows what we're talking about. So that's what it means here. Do not quench that. How, how could we quench the Holy Spirit? When we sin. It's pretty easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, disobedience. Good. I'm sorry I didn't hear that. Ignoring the conviction. Yeah, as Gordon was talking about. Okay. Because those are mandatory, and if we're not doing them, we're quenching. Okay. Yes. So that prideful, that prideful part of us that thinks we know better than everybody else. So that goes back to last week's lesson on how we are to, to uh, work with the different types of people that we find in the church, never with pride. Because we're concerned and to encourage. Yeah, very good. Uh, so there was a little bit of talk in the, in the uh, commentaries here 
uh, I need to bring that up because uh, today the, the church movement minimizes the importance of the Holy Spirit in God and God's word in the spiritual lives of believers. Uh, we visited a church here a number of years ago that uh, is one of the big churches in the area. And there's just thousands of people that flock there. And I, I picked up their statement uh, about uh, their doctrinal statement out of the little rack on the wall after church and uh, just just looked at it and uh, I read through it while I was there because we were waiting for some things to happen and and uh, I read through it and, and I didn't see the word sin and I didn't see the word Jesus now this this was not the full doctrinal statement but this was their statement to people who would pick it up out of the brochure rack there on the wall I, I, I must say, to, to be honest and fair, when I got home, I read it through a little bit more thoroughly, and I did find the word sin once and the word Jesus once. But I had to dig at home to find it. Um, so that's, that's the minimizing of the importance of the Holy Spirit and God's word in the spiritual lives of believers. Uh, the contemporary charismatic movement, uh, with all the mystical things that kind of go along with that, uh, misrepresent the true work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that leads to a, uh, the, the de-emphasis of the Holy Spirit's true work in us uh, leads to a pronounced lack of spiritual discernment, which we'll get to here in just a minute. So there, there's a lot of psychology and a lot of charismatic doctrine uh, that uh, threaten the spiritual health and effectiveness of true believers. So Paul's admonition here is to direct believers toward their true responsibilities to not quench the spirit, but to respond to God's word and to be discerning in all things. So that's, that's not quenching the spirit. Let's go on to uh, do not despise prophecies. And, and again, there is, uh, there is some emphasis today about a prophecy again. We have uh, a church close to us here whose pastor uh, gets prophecies, uh, direct words from the Lord uh, for the people of his congregation. But it's not the word of God. I mean, we already have God's direct word. It's in the Bible. It, that's complete. It's, it's done. It's, it's all there. Everything that we need to know, the Bible is sufficient. Uh, there is no further revelation. And so uh, that's not what is being talked about here, these further revelations. What we're talking about is either the spoken word, those words that we teach, like Pastor Tom is our teaching pastor uh, he speaks about the word of God to us uh, but more often in scripture the prophecies are the written words of scripture and so what we see here is that that these prophecies are the preaching of the word of God and uh, we can look at uh, a number of different uh, scripture there to to back that up yes can i ask a question is it too 
That's very popular. I think you are, uh, and I can feel free in saying that because of the way the Word of God is taught here. Yeah. And, and uh, I just really have picked up on what Pastor Tom has taught us. What does the Bible have to say? Yeah. What does the Scripture say? And of course, along with that, in its context, in the theme of the entirety yeah. of the Gospel of God yeah. in, in Right. So those can be turned into teaching opportunities. Sometimes we're, we, uh, we, we can take the opportunity to say, that's a great verse. Here's what it means to me. And sometimes we have to kind of wait and get back to them because we have to look it up. But yeah, but that's a great teaching opportunity as well. But I, no, I think you're on the right track. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not what he's talking about. Yeah. Because how are you? Okay. So. Okay. So how are you going to give comfort to them? Through God's word, but your understanding of it in its context and its and its meaning in in the in the uh, the uh, the spirit in which the cultural, historical, you know, interpretation of that. You're going to give that comfort. You're going to give it out of the love of the Holy Spirit, that the love of the Holy Spirit is put on <coughs> you that you're expressing to them. Now, what he was talking about is people who have no view of that concept of giving comfort and care, and they're just taking a, a scripture and saying, oh, this is for you. Secondly, what you're doing is, you may not realize it is, but you're saying, thus saith the Lord, which means that you're actually trying to be an Old Testament prophet. Because God has not told you anything to tell anyone. Uh, so, do it right well. So, tell people that you like, I said, I told I said, basically then you're putting yourself into the category of, you know, an Isaiah or an Ezekiel or any one of those where they said, thus saith the Lord. 
So, um, yeah. We, we surely want to show our love, concern. We want to put into practice those things that we taught about last week on how to deal with various groups of people in the church. And I think the key here is that uh, it, it's the difference between God gave me this word for you. Uh, and my short answer to that is no, God gave us the Bible and the Holy Spirit that works in our life, he doesn't speak to us directly anymore. He did in the New Testament to some people, and in the Old Testament we see the prophecies, uh, but today that revelation is complete. And so God does not reveal anything outside of what that teaching of Scripture is. <laughs> I, I'm not convincing you, I can tell, but I'm, I'm giving you some very short answers to a very long question. That's, that's verboten. <laughs> now, we can encourage people from Scripture, absolutely. We can use Scripture to encourage people. God has already given that to us. There's nothing new that we're going to, to teach them. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just guessing here, but, but uh, don't stop what you're doing in encouraging people from Scripture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, yes, okay, all right. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Encourage one another. 
Right. Good point. Amen. You said it much better than I. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it. And we can we can uh, discuss that more a little bit later too. But let's let's go to uh, verse verses twenty and uh, twenty one here. Don't despise those prophetic utterances. Don't despise the teaching of God's word and those who pro- proclaim it publicly to us. Uh, despise carries a strong meaning. To consider it as absolutely nothing, to treat it with contempt, uh, to look down on it. So we don't want to. We don't want to do that. We want to listen to those that teach us, and we want to look at Scripture uh, and see those truths there. And to do that, verse twenty-one: examine, examine, examine is a common New Testament word that often refers to testing something for authenticity. It talks about distinguishing between true and false, right and wrong, or good and bad. So that's what we do when we examine. And please notice, everything permits no exceptions. It includes every issue and idea that might come up to us. So we have to constantly be looking at, is this true? Is this right? Is it, or is it false? And if we do find it to be true, what do we do? We hold fast to it. We take possession of it. We embrace it wholeheartedly. This good is, is a word that denotes that it is inherently genuine, true, noble, and right. Romans 12, 9, and, and Romans 4, 8. So the thing itself inherently, because of what it is and what it says, is true, noble, and right. How do we determine that? What does Scripture have to say? <laughs> what does the Bible have to say? And we abstain to hold oneself away from those things that are evil, that's harmful and malignant, the distortions of the truth, as well as moral perversion. Uh, And so, uh, in in our uh, wrap-up here, let me just read this. Believers who yield to the Holy Spirit's complete control will appreciate Scripture's character, allow its power to sanctify their lives, and examine everything by its standards. Thus they will fulfill the the three responsibilities all believers have to Christ, to honor His Spirit, obey His Word, and exercise spiritual discernment. So, these, these uh, I believe there's eight there, these eight are giving us the rails to run on on this path of sanctification. This is how God 
is, is sanctifying us in a way that, that keeps us on those rails, but also gets us to our destination, and everybody sees it. They see what God is doing in our lives. They see and they begin to understand that we stand on the word of God. And this is what the word of God says. And not only that, but this is the way we live our life because of what the Holy Spirit does in us. So powerful motivations for us here to, uh, to live in this way. And it's, remember, it's God that's working within us to will and to work. So it's, it's the motivation of God. We look for what his will is, and then we step out and we do that. Don't just sit there and study. Everything's good. <laughs> no, we've got to step out in faith and practice these things that we see here. So let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Such rich passages in just a few words here. Uh, help us to uh, understand what's behind these uh, mandatory uh, directions in scripture. Uh, we do, we intend to live these out, uh, but we can't do it on our own. It takes the Holy Spirit working in our lives as we've seen uh, to produce this in us. And so that's what we ask for. And as we continue our study in the next couple of weeks on sanctification, Father, I pray that, that uh, we'll understand more fully both uh, what the scripture has to say, but how you work that out in our lives. Uh, sometimes it's, it's the good things, it's the good times, and sometimes it's the bad times, but we rejoice in all and we always pray. And we always give thanks. And because you're mighty, uh, you're gracious, you are good and you're always good and you intend only good for us. So we pray that as we go on today, Father, in, in, uh, to our service, uh, our worship service, that we'll be able to worship you in spirit and truth. And we also pray in our week to come, Father, that our lives will be characterized by those things that we see and have learned, have been taught and learned uh, from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.